Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the We Need Crew podcast. I am your host, Scott Howarth. We've got a fantastic guest this week. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that we do a Hall of Fame section for touring crew past and present. We are so fortunate this week to have one of those nominations. Our guest on this episode is Becky Pell. Our chat today heads to the other side of the world. As like previous episodes, while in lockdown, we've had to perform them over the internet and try to deliver the best quality sound where possible for you, our listeners. We'd like to just give a quick shout out to our friends over at Roland for helping us facilitate our interviewees with recording devices should they not have any in their home. It's been a massive, massive help and we're super grateful to them. So thank you, Roland, very, very much much. So for this instance, however, we're going to chat on Zoom to Becky. So let's cover what's been going on with Weenie Crew before we get into that chat with Becky. Raffles at Wishio. As previously mentioned in the last episode, Wishio is an app which has raffles you can enter to win prizes from various artists that support We Need Crew. This includes Niall Horan giving away a signed Gibson guitar, DJ and artist Jonas Blue is offering a chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime experience of him live-streaming a private DJ set in your living room. Just visit wishio.io for more information. And also, Weenie Crew have a raffle on our website. We've got some signed Royal Albert Hall t-shirts and drum heads from that live stream of Niall Horan's show. The raffle tickets are available on weeniecrew.co.uk forward slash raffle. So take some time to visit our website and see what's been going on also. Right, it's time for our chat this week. Don't forget, we release a new episode every Friday, so please subscribe and share the podcast. Today we go international with our chat. We are chatting with a monitor engineer who has relocated to Australia. She has worked with artists such as Kylie Minogue, Westlife and Anastasia to name but a few. However, as in most episodes of the Weenie Crew podcast, our guest turned their hand to something else too. She's a registered yoga teacher and therapist with her company Rock and Roll Yogi and also a published writer. Our guest is actually already a Weenie Crew Hall of Fame nomination. Hello to Becky Pell. How are you doing, Becky? I'm pretty good, Scott. How are you? I'm, I'm great. Thank you very much. How's the weather over in Australia right now? Um, it's, oh, I'm going to upset all the English people. It's pretty warm. <laughs> Do you know what? We're, we're still like 13 to 15 degrees over here in November. That's pretty good, guys. Yeah, don't, don't worry too much. It's, it's obviously raining every day because it's England, but it's still obviously. quite warm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not too, it's not too bad it's not too bad oh. i do actually quite miss this time of year over there it's a good time of year. well you kind of get the seasons don't you over here mm. so yeah. you kind of get the crisp leaves falling on the floor the autumnal kind of sense and you know over in australia you just get deathly heat all the time i'd say so. yeah more hot and less hot and, <laughs> and you know 30 percent humidity or 100 percent humidity yeah, yeah that's it yeah that's it <laughs> i'd still i'd still take it though i'd still take it 
So, <laughs> Becky, welcome blame. to the podcast. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, please? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, I've, um, I'm a monitor engineer. I've been working in the live music business for 25 years. Um, it was all I ever wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a gig when I was 12 years old and saw the front of house engineer sitting there and realised that there was a whole industry going on behind all this and it looked way better than a proper job and I wanted in. <laughs> um, what, what gig was so, that? So... Uh, it was Aha, who I actually ended uh-huh. up mixing monitors for for five years. Yeah. Oh no way! Much further down the line, which was a very nice full circle. Yeah. Right. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Eventually, um, after a lot of false starts and going to college and writing to everybody I could find in in what was the industry bible of the time, the white book, yep. just before the internet. Yeah, yeah. Um, to very little avail. Um, I got a job at rg jones sound engineering in london mm. um as the kid the apprentice and worked my way up there and eventually went freelance and been touring ever since amazing did, then, um, did you go straight into monitor engineering or did you do other bits as well no mostly mostly cleaning cables sweeping floors loading trucks first <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, obviously yeah yeah like we all do yeah, um yeah. no i got um I got taught how to do monitors while I was at RG Jones. We, they weren't a touring company at the time, but we, um, we used to do a lot of TV work um, and putting monitor, monitors in for um, like Saturday morning music shows. There was one called SMTV that we used to do. Yeah. And um, a guy called Fred Jackson, who was Bruce Springsteen's monitor engineer, was working at RG Jones at the time. And he right. basically taught me to do monitors, um, to my eternal gratitude. Um, mm-hmm. And I just seemed to, to gel with it. Mm. I, I did a bit of front of house and um, we did a lot of classical shows as well. And I mixed some front of house classical shows, um, bit of system, but it was always monitors that I kept coming back to. And that seemed to be where my aptitude lay. So and that was, that was what I focused on. What did you enjoy with monitors? Was it, was it, was it create, was it creating a sound or was it the relationship with the artist that you was working for? Cause that's, that's a lot of monitors, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Initially, I think it was it was being amongst the thick of it because obviously you don't just start out mixing monitors. You work yeah, yeah, your way up doing sure. stage and monitor tech and all that sort of stuff. So for me, it was it was being down, it you know where the action is, mm-hmm. and um, I really enjoyed that whole relationship with uh, with the, all the crew down there and all working together, and with the musicians. And so yeah, it was very much the relationships that I enjoyed. And then as I started to get into mixing monitors. Um, I really enjoyed the relationship between myself and, and the artists and understanding what it was they needed yeah. for their perfect audio environment that they could forget about the tech of it and just mm-hmm. get on with their job of doing a great show. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed that. There's a lot to be said really for for when the artist walks out on stage and you you're you're solely responsible for their mix. But you know, I've worked with people who who really fascinate themselves with how something sounds. And if, if it doesn't sound a certain way, they can have a bad show. And it's really nice to, to find that kind of gap when, you, when you're mixing monitors so that they, they can just walk out and be super comfortable. And there's a complete art to also speaking to them, making them feel comfortable, also knowing that you've got their back audio-wise as well. It's, it's such an interesting job doing monitors because, like I say, it's, it's 50% this and 50% that. It's a it's an incredibly hard job, I find. Yeah, they've they've got to have absolute trust in you because you know they're 
they may as well be naked up there. You know, if, yeah. if they can't hear what they need to hear, they're going to be up there standing like, you know, feeling like a lemon in front of however many people. Yeah. And they've got to have absolute trust in the monitor engineer that, that you've, like you say, that you've got their back. So w- one thing you said um, that you enjoyed was that you, you wanted to be in the thick of it. We spoke to, we spoke with another person on our on our chat, Emma Bull, and she nominated you for the Hall of Fame. And one thing that she said was that when she saw you, and it was it was on a Westlife tour, I believe, she said she just saw that you was in the thick of it with everybody else, and she absolutely loved that you was in the thick of it. So it's quite funny that you've said that that you enjoy that because that's, oh, really? that, that's, yeah. kind of, that's kind of where you where where people have noticed you as well. Yeah, I mean, it's um busy part of the. It's where it is literally where it's all happening, isn't it? It's the, it's the show, and I've, I've always found it quite lonely out front. And I, I really take my hat off to front of house engineers because that's that's a different sort of confidence that the artists have got having you that you're representing them yeah. to all these people correctly, and you are literally stood out there it, in, it, in the middle of everyone. It is a very strange thing. I, I mixed front of house for, for years, and it's only been the last kind of couple of years that I've started to mix monitors, and I solely mix monitors now, but. I really enjoyed at some points being on that loneliness out front. Um, but then you get back to the dressing room and then you find out things have happened during the show that you had no idea about. And you kind of miss that. <laughs> There's a bit of FOMO there where you're like, I, I feel like I've missed something here. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, then it's just you and the lighting guy and, or you and the video guy out front or whatever. And you're like, yeah, well, we've got our own click going on. So don't worry about it. You know, you, you, you didn't see him miss that stab on the lighting cue, did you? No. <laughs> you know, but, but, That's the art of the great show, though, isn't it? The, the audience not knowing that something's gone wrong. But if you can get it past the front of house engineer and the LD as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, yeah. It's, it's such, I mean, music in itself, mixing a live show, working a live show is so, so interesting because, like I say, me and Richard, um, another guest on the show, he, you know, we used to finish the show at the end of the day and, um, he was mixing. He was doing lights out front, and I was mixing monitors. And we used to just meet in the dressing room and have a chat and say, "Rich, how was your show?" And he'd go through uh, how his show was, only his show. He wouldn't talk about how the band was, and I wouldn't talk about how the band was. Like, oh well, you know, this happened, and we all have this own facet of of our job that we're so passionate about, but we also like to talk about. Typically, most of the time, there's only one monitor engineer. Most of the time, you know. Mm. There's only one front of house engineer for sure. So for them to talk to another front of house guy, you know, that's that's why it happens when you get on the back of the bus and all the sound guys get together. Well, let's have a chat. Let's have a chat. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then everybody else yeah, is rolling their eyes. Very going, different oh, experience. God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, that's it. They're still, oh, they're talking again. Oh, God. Please shut them up. So you, so you got into it by working for a company and then... Um, how how far was it from working with that company getting into touring? Um, well, we did um, some touring um, with RG Jones back then. They do more now. Um, but we did some with a show that they had, that they provided for called Classical Spectacular. Okay. So that would tour around Europe. So that was my first foray into touring mm-hmm. and my first tour bus experience and all that stuff, um, which I loved. Um, and it was always rock and roll I really wanted to get into. Uh, and so when I went freelance, that was when touring really started to be my, mm-hmm. my life really. Um, you know, there'd be the odd one-offs, but that was when touring became kind of my, my full-time occupation. And, right. um, yeah, my first tour was with, I got my wish. I, 
I toured with the Black Crows for my first tour. Oh, oh awesome. Um, yeah. Which was pretty cool to, to be touring with somebody whose record you've got. Mm. Which, I, yeah, that was, a, that was a buzz. Well, you also had the, the AHA record, right? And I had all the AHA records, <laughs> but that was, that was a little way off, yeah. That was probably five years into being freelance I got that gig, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a nice full circle, though. He's a really nice full circle. Yeah. So um, with, with, with working and stuff like that, I noticed when, um, when looking through everything about you is that you tend to stick with artists as well for quite a, quite a number of years. Is that something that you enjoy doing you, once you develop that relationship, you'd rather stay with them than move about? Or is that just the way yeah, it's definitely felt? Is. It's, it's kind of just been the way it's felt, but um, I feel like if you've got a good relationship going, um, it's like there's no reason to break up really. You know? No, no, definitely not. If, no. if they like what you're doing and you, know, you, you enjoy mixing them, then the, the shorthand gets easier and easier. Yeah, you know, as you know, the the, the more you work with somebody, mm-hmm. and you know, the Westlife guys now and Anastasia now generally know pretty quickly if something's yeah. needs tweaking or isn't right, and and don't need to be prompted in the same way that perhaps you said you do when you first start working with somebody. You don't want to second guess them before you've got to know them. No. Um. So yeah, I really like having that long-standing relationship because I'm like their comfy pair of slippers at the side of stage. I'm just there. That's it's the safety yeah. blanket, isn't it? They they know me. They can trust me. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really that's really, really good. Did, did you find um, working with these artists for so long that there's a lot of crew changes in it all, or has, have the crew stayed very similar? No, I've seen a lot lot of people come and go. Um, mm. Yeah, like whole whole productions have changed, and you know, management changes and. People mm-hmm. go in and out, and yes, yeah, so I've seen quite a lot of changes. Because there's, there's some people, for some people in life, you know, they can't stick at a job for for too long because they like the challenge of moving on. Or sometimes they just become. A lot of people can become um, kind of too comfortable and become, mm. you know, I can't think of the right word, but you kind of just let the, the the boat sail a little bit too far away from the dock sometimes and you realise that you've got to rein it back in a little bit. You know, you get a little bit too comfortable in your skin. So it's great that you've managed to find that comfy, you be that comfy pair of slippers, as you said, um, and still keep that integrity about your job and everything like that, like I say. I'm still always trying to, you know, trying to find ways to improve things and, you know, move with the move with the times, move with the technology. There's always, there's always things we can do a bit better. And, and then occasionally I like to get dumped completely out of my comfort zone with a, with a new um, artist, like the, the War of the Worlds tour that I did. That was the first time I'd, I'd done that. And that was very different from, yeah. from mixing a, a, a pop band or rock band. Yeah, I mean, for, so I did a little bit of research on this, and the, the, did you have you had 168 inputs, but it, something like that. But it was it was all it was kind of like orchestral, and then a band as such. And there was there was kind of all sorts going on, wasn't there? And then you were mixing primarily for Jeff Wayne um, for his ear mix, and that must have been that must have been quite an interesting change to go from say you know Westlife Anastasia straight to Jeff Wayne. That, yeah, I mean, I was I was mixing for every, everybody on stage, but um, Jeff had the the three D yeah sorry yeah um, component of it, and yeah, he's he's the creator and producer of this his masterpiece, and he mm-hmm. wants to hear it as faithfully reproduced um, as is possible, and that, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, and you know, orchestra, nine piece band, actors, singers, there's a lot of track, a lot of effects stuff. Um, 
aliens catching fire and there's all sorts going on <laughs> it's quite interesting in, in the music industry you know we can meet people sometimes who don't really have a clue about sound when they walk on stage but they know that they want a guitar up or a vocal down or they want you know more reverb or this less of this and then you meet people who are producers as well one artist that i work mm. for he's a he's a producer as well and he understands the fundamentals of sound well, he understands a lot about sound so to Get them happy is is a massive thing where you can be like, okay, now we're working together more. And then someone like Jeff who composes music and pulls everything in to mix for him um, must have been interesting. And the big thing what you mentioned then was that you mixed in 3D, you used Clang with Digico to create a Mm. 3D space in his in-ear mix uh, for him. And I I believe he won't go back to what he calls 2D now. No, no, we've um, been ruined for stereo for life now. I'm yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> even even if you get chance, you can go on. Um, you can go on like the Clang website, and you can listen to. You can watch the video with Becky in it, and even if you put headphones on, that's even a little bit of spatial audio as the kind of video starts, and straight away you go, "Oh, there's mo- way more depth to this." Was it fun messing about with the depth and the field and stuff like that? Yeah, it really was. It just gave me so much more space to to have. Um, the information up front and and you know close to his kind of realm of vision yeah. that that sort of ten to two yeah. uh, out from the side of your eyes and and other things you know behind him or up high or down low and mm-hmm. and just have that whole field to play with and I had to learn a whole new way of working as well because I'm not a classical musician mm-hmm. um, by any stretch of the imagination um, so I don't read music or I didn't mm-hmm. had to learn right Fantastic. because there'd be things like There'd be things like there'd be a particular cello um, motif that he wanted to come up a couple of dB every time it played. And he would refer me to what comes up in bar 164 or, you know, the third beat of whatever bar. So I was like, okay, I've got some very fast learning to do here. So I had to learn to speak his language so that I could give him what he needed. And then also employ time code um, for all my snapshots to to do that because you you physically have enough hands to be doing that yeah 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 so it was it was a big learning curve but it's great I, w- I would have loved to have, have, have heard that mix was with they doing a similar thing out front was that was that a stereo was that a stereo feel out front as well he had surround out front as well All right yeah so it was it was a real immersive experience yeah there, there was a point when I was watching the uh, the little doc kind of documentary on it and I was I was quite sad because I was like oh I should have gone to that I should have gone to that. I've listened, you know, I've listened to that record since I was young, um, and I was like, I sh- yeah, I was like, I should have gone to that show, and it's it's just a shame that live music isn't isn't a part anymore because, <clears throat> you know, when shows do get announced, I tend to find an interesting show and go right, I'm going to that, and with our lives, mm. with to- you know, you yourself as a touring monitor engineer, we never know when we're home. We we can get we can get our diary for the next eighteen months, but you never know. Oh. Kylie's added this tour, you've got to jump on this. And you go, right, okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm not seeing Phil Collins. Oh, that's a shame. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know, we kind of get these things where I, I like to book shows. So I was quite sad. I was like, oh, I really want to go see that show now. And then when I saw the aliens kind of spitting fire and, the, you know, the mechanical monsters and stuff, I was like, wow, yeah, should have gone to that. There are plans for it to go out again when the world returns to normal. So you have to come along. Well, I mean, it is the war of the world right now, isn't it? It is a... Uh, it's a different Well, way. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's like, what have we cooked up here? What do we conjure up with that tour? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be certainly different when we return, but uh, I'm ready for the challenge, to be honest. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. 
um, to see how quickly it comes back once the vaccine gets kicked in. And thank goodness we got that lovely news yesterday. Yeah. Um, so. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it, how it unfolds. Yeah. So one thing um, I found out about you, Becky, that you told me was that you write articles for ProSound Web as well. That's right, yeah. When did you start writing articles for ProSound Web? It would have been about, mm, I want to say probably about four or five years ago, perhaps. I started um, Carrie Keys, um, who's Pearl Jam's monitor engineer, who started the Sound Girls organisation, right. um, reached out to me and asked if I would, I think she picked up a blog that I'd written and asked if I would um, be happy for her to share it on the Sound Girls website. Mm-hmm. And I started writing a regular blog for Sound Girls and then um, the editor at um, Life Sound International and Pro Sound News picked up on that and asked if he could reproduce it in the magazine. Yeah. And so eventually um, I ended up writing a, a regular column for them. Is it something that you enjoy doing? Is it something that comes naturally to you? Or do I really you, do, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you find you have to sit there and think a lot? Or do you, do you, do you kind of have ideas and stuff like that straight away? Um, no, I really enjoy it. I tend to I tend to take myself for a big long walk before I write a piece because that's sort of when I do my best best thinking. But uh, mm-hmm. I have the the topic of the article. I'll I'll typically have a, a few ideas up my my sleeve that I'll I'll send to Keith, the editor, and say what do you what what of these do you fancy, mm-hmm. and then I'll um, sort of sketch out the main points that I want to make. So it's like just it's a bit like setting up a stage really you you know you yeah. you get your infrastructure in and and then i start to flesh it out and that that flows quite quite easily and if it's not flowing i don't tend to force it i step away from it and go and do something else and then and then come back when it's when it's yeah. flowing again i think it's great that you're sharing you're spreading knowledge and you're sharing your own knowledge of what you've learned through the industry because i think it's it's something that we should be doing a bit more within the industry is a lot of, a lot of touring people. We should be giving an insight into, into how we do things or even your mental state and anything like that that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. I, I find, I've always found it super interesting. I still get like PSN delivered to the door. You know, I still get a, an edition of it Oh great! Um, to read through and stuff like that. And it's same with like TPI, you know, it's always interesting to read what's going on on TPI magazine and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good that we've still got these publications going on. I think it's fantastic that you're writing for them and I'm, I'm glad that you enjoy it. It's something that I would love to Thank get you. into, but my grammatically, I am horrendous being from the north. <laughs> no, come on, I'm from the north too. That's no excuse. Oh, where are you from? Where are you from in the north? Originally York. Oh, okay. That's that's the other side of the wall for me. That I don't go that side. Where are you? Uh, Lancashire, the real rose. Lancashire. Yeah. Oh, okay, I see. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. We all, I see. I always seem to have this kind of like back and forth with people from Yorkshire. Um, be- because of that, we say, "Oh, you're a red rose, or you're a white rose." There was there was actually one tour that we was on, and uh, my front of house guy, he is from Huddersfield, so he's only he's mm. only just that side of the wall, and uh, there was some red roses in the dressing room, and he walks, and he's like, "Oh, what are these red roses doing in the dressing room?" And I was like, "They're the real <laughs> roses." Then I said, "You always buy red ones. You don't buy white ones, do you?" And uh, as he fell asleep, <laughs> as he fell asleep, I hid a red rose on everything for his so when he went to front of house and took his lid off there was a red rose when he opened his pillow <laughs> there was a red rose <laughs> when he when he got in Brilliant. his bed there was a red rose on his pillow and he's like oh fucking hate you <laughs> i love it yeah you've got you've got to also have that little bit of a laugh on the road he doesn't always need to be you know silly stuff but you know it, it, it's it, it's good it's good to just have a little bit of a laugh with people isn't it 
oh my God, it's one of the best parts of being on the road. I'm a firm believer that you can take something very seriously without being super serious. It's the, it's the in-jokes for me on the road that you'll never forget. You know, yeah. you, you have these things and you can walk into a venue one day and you might have a little in-joke and people can be like, what are you going on about? Well, who's, who's Ricky W? And you're like, well, you know if you know. If you don't know, you don't know. And it, it means not. It means nothing. I actually came away from one tour with a, with a, a tattoo. I don't regret it because I, I don't regret things in life like that. But <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's one of the things when you come home and even my wife is like, oh, why have you got that? And I'm like, oh, I've lived it. You know, when you're on the road for so long and you're like, day five hundred, still on the road. So yeah. yeah. It's one of those as well that you can text somebody like three years later, you can text them one word and you'll both be rolling on the floor. Oh, we we still do. I, I, I'm in a WhatsApp group with the lads regarding this Ricky W and they were like, you've still not posted the footage yet, Scott. I was like, right, all right, all right. I've captured some footage. All right, I'll, I'll edit it for you and put it up. And they were all in hysterics laughing at it. And I was like, it's been, it's been three years, lads. We're still rolling <laughs> off that one joke, still going. But that, that's the beauty of the road. And that's that's the kind of you know the the atmosphere that we create. That we we live our life on the road. They're our family, aren't they? They're our family on the road. Absolutely. What we'll do is we'll talk a little bit about COVID because we're kind of bridging on that gap of that. We love the road life, but unfortunately, the road life is is no longer with us for the meantime. Oh, at the it's moment, BC and uh, yeah, before yeah. COVID, yeah, yeah, it is, it is BC. That's right, yeah. So, how have your plans been impacted? Um, how how has your schedule gone? <laughs> well, um, back in March, I was all ready to go and get on a plane and come over to the UK and be with Westlife for pretty much the rest of the year. We had dates throughout the rest of the year, yeah. Um, and then it all became apparent what was going on, and got a call to say. Maybe don't get that on get on that plane. We might be postponing for a month, mm-hmm. and then a couple of weeks later, yeah, I got the call that it, yeah, it, well, it was it was becoming apparent anyway from the news, but I know it's yeah. expecting it really, but yeah, then got the call to say no. So had it's you off for had you year. had a few months off prior to that tour when you were looking to get? That I had. Before? I mean, I hadn't actually. Yeah, um, I'd been. We toured with them up until September in 2019 and then I'd done some bits and pieces of promo in China with them and then I'd had a few months off and been teaching yoga retreats and and what have you and moving house in Australia and and so hadn't been on the road so I'd already been away for a little while Mm -hmm. when yeah I was I was itching to get back to it and then it all went away so I I had a very similar thing I I did um over New Year I was in Australia for over New Year actually I was in Perth for New Year's and then um we flew back on I think the 10th of January and I was due to go out on the 16th of March so I was like oh Mm. my god I've got two months off here I was like right I'm going to attack this I'm going to this time off is not going to be it's going to be good so I started working out. I'm going to get this again. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. I was like, right, a couple of months off, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to get my mental state ready. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hit this year so hard. March, don't get on that plane, Scott. Uh, yeah, all right, I'll wait for the next one. And then the next one's not come, which is such a shame, mm. really. You know, yeah. so so you had, you had all, so the, the entire year you had with Westlife, that was kind of like your yeah. go-to for the year then. That was my 2020, yeah. Did you find that when March stopped and obviously, you know, it was like, maybe we'll go out next, you know, next month. Did, did you start getting emails about, okay, we've rescheduled till October. And then, and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, now it's apparent that October is not going to happen. You know, even, even in Australia, a a thing started again in Australia now. Um, 
yeah, it's things are very different here. Um, I'm in Queensland and we have literally no cases here right. at the moment. Um, and so there's a bit of a discrepancy with sporting events and music events. So we had the um, AFL grand final, which is kind of like the, it's the Australian football league. It's yeah. like the Super Bowl of Australia. And they had 37,000 people mm. in the stadium. No social distancing. Wow. Um, and yet we're not allowed to have music events. Right. To any, if, if it's music events, people aren't allowed to stand up. They've got to sit down. It's got to be, it's different rules. Uh-huh. And I may not understand it fully. And I may be speaking out of, out of turn, but mm. it, it doesn't look fair to me the way that sports and, and music are being treated differently but yes um long story short thing things are getting more back to normal here it's interesting that sports shows are going on though so i think there's a little bit of hope there i think that's what we've got to see from it isn't it go all right thirty-seven thousand people okay yeah there should be some hope there should be some legislation coming forward where we were allowed to have that because i believe new zealand are having shows now right that's right yeah um and they they've been clear of it for for quite some time i think um Mm. And, you know, we've, we have got the, the benefit down here of we're a bloody long way from anywhere. Yeah. And Australia is, you know, we've got a population the size of London, Birmingham, Manchester in a country the size <laughs> yeah. of France, Germany and Spain. You know, it's, yeah. it's a massive amount of space for not many people. So, you know, the sheer numbers means that it's not going to be as, as intense as it is in Europe. And the Australian government were very quick and decisive in closing the borders and closing state borders. And we're not yeah. allowed out of the state mm-hmm. and we're certainly not allowed out of the country. So there is a, a kind of a lockdown in terms of travel. Like you guys have been able to go to Europe. That That's, we're yeah, not allowed yeah. out of the state. Yeah. So it's different, yeah. but it's good to see things coming back and, you know, cafes and restaurants are, are, are doing great business again and, mm-hmm. and all those local businesses are back. So that's, that's positive. That's, that's good. Yeah, it's good. So, um, how how have you been through the lockdown? How has it how has it affected you? I, fa- I found a a written piece that you did, and in it is a quote that I'd like to that I mentioned to you, and then we'll talk about this quote. It says, "I don't publicly share about my personal crises until I'm out the other side and have absorbed the lessons." And I thought that was quite mm. profound. Um, my kind of default has been to get very at first was to get very controlled about things to try and get some sense of, of ground under my feet again, I think. And so I went very strong on trying to timetable myself. I was um, writing a book at the time. So I was like, okay, from this hour to this hour, I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to be working out. I joined the gym um, and was like going really hard on um, high intensity interval training, doing Mm. that every day. And, it was actually just making me miserable. I realized it yeah. a couple of months later because I don't like routine. Not obviously our touring days have a, have a routine to them, have a rhythm to them, but that on Monday I do this on Tuesday, I do that on Wednesday. I do, it just yeah. makes me miserable. Yeah. Um, so I had a bit of an epiphany about that and just took a step back and went, do you know what? I'm just going to do much more go with the flow and, and do what feels right. And got a lot happier then and stopped trying to be, you know, hyper controlling about everything. Yeah. Um, and then I, yeah, I've been through stages when I've just been really pissed off and just felt very, um, dark and, and, and angry about the way angry at, at who I don't know. It's nobody's, 
you know. No, yeah, yeah. Can't point I, I, finger I get at anyone, it, yeah. can we? But yeah. but just angry about the situation. Something that's um, so many of us have put such passion and and years and years of our lives into that we're just not able to do. It's just mm-hmm. disappeared overnight um, in a way that a lot of. And the thing that I found really hard was when other industries started to come back. When we were all in it together and everybody was locked down, it was like, okay, there was that kind of blitz spirit to it. Yep. But then when other industries start to come back, then I started to get a bit dark, a bit nihilistic and did you, um, a bit pissed off with life. Did you have the We Make events kind of light it in red or any, any kind of marches or anything like that over in Australia? Um, there were some, not, not to the same extent, Mm. Um, but there, there, there was some um, support for, for crew down here as well. Sure, yeah. So what, what I found, um, I, I found this, this helped me massively. For some people, it didn't. Um, some people, it, re- it really didn't. But, you know, we, we, one thing's always been said is we're the first to go, we're the last to come back. Now, you can say mm. that, right? But that doesn't mean, you know, that's going to help us. It's not going to help our mindset. It may help a little bit, but it doesn't help that much. And then when the We Make Events stuff started happening, I went to the one in Manchester. And um, I think I've mentioned this on a podcast, is that when I went, I saw my fellow touring people. And the Mm. camaraderie of finding that, although you can say we're all in it together, seeing those people, being in it with them, and seeing how they are, how they're getting through it, made me feel really good because then I felt a sense of togetherness. I felt a sense that I wasn't alone during this. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, the, like the, the guy who was mentioned before from, from Yorkshire, the, from Huddersfield, he, he didn't do too well. For him, it went the other way. He's like, oh no, this is, you know, it, 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 it just didn't go well for me. Kind of downward spiraled a little bit. So it's interesting. Oh, really? That's why I asked if you had those kind of events because to me, to me, it helped me to go, okay, we are, we are together. It's not just a national, it's not just a, a global thing now or a national lockdown. Mm. You know, our communities still stand strong together. Well, st- stand, st- keeping each other up, not standing strong together, holding each other up. Because we are like a house yeah. of cards, aren't we? Like, 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 much like yeah. the Tories. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I have to say, I'm not really involved in the music industry in Australia. Um, mm. I tend to stick to the yoga side of life when I'm down here. And, you know, I've spent... 20 plus years building up a client base over in Europe. And uh, so I, I tend to come back that way for, for touring. Sure. And so my kind of um, community for better or for worse ended up being a lot on Facebook um, because right. that's where. Yeah, of course. All, all our guys and girls are, aren't they? Um, you yeah. know, that's where you can actually sort of see, see people and check in with people. And um, so as much as I think it's important to be, aware of what's in your Facebook feed because it can be a, a force for, for unhappiness as well. It yeah. all depends how you use it. It's just a tool. Yeah. Um, but I actually found a comfort in that in being able to, to, to see, see my touring bodies in my feed. Yeah. 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 So I did a very similar thing to you when lockdown started and, and work disappeared. I said, well, look, what I'm not going to do is I'm not just going to sit, sit on my laurels. I'm not going to sit on my ass through this. I'm going to, I'm going to push for something. I'm going to push to better myself in some way. And, you know, one of it was taking online courses. One of it was getting certifications for like Dante and stuff like that. You know, things that I already know, but I thought, well, you know, what what harm is it getting a certification for it? You know, let's do this. Mm. Um, and then I pushed myself physically. I was working out, you know, four or five days a week doing, doing hit, doing resistance, <clears throat> doing a lot of cardio. And I got to the point where, 
my days was me living to work out. And I went, I am so unhappy. I am so unhappy because it's not just, it was kind of routine in the sense that it's like at two o'clock, I must do this exercise and I must be like this, this, this in this order. And it got to the point where I was unhappy. I was happy that I was getting fitter and trimmer, but it, it affected me. It affected me so much. And I don't think I've ever had the time to sit down and work out like that and then find find a routine. And like you say, it's funny because, you know, the, the book of lies that we have as a tour, you know, we kind of, that's our Bible, isn't it? You know, we, our, day, yeah. our day sheets, our Bible, what time, it's what time we get up, it's what time we eat, it's what time we work, it's what time we, we go to bed. It's our days mm. plotted out most of the time, <laughs> yeah. you know, but then when we get home, we're like, no, I don't want that. Don't want that in my life. <laughs> you know. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's so strange. The same to someone, I said, uh, I don't like routine. And they're like, what do you mean you don't like routine? Your day is routine. Your, your work life is routine. I was like, yeah, it is. No, I was just going to say, I feel, I feel like there's a real purpose to our to our days on the road. There's like a, there's a crescendo, isn't there, of yes. the show? Yes. And so there's, there's kind of a real purpose to every day. Whereas if you're just on the same old, same old hamster wheel of, working out and doing whatever you've scheduled for yourself it doesn't have the same feeling of purpose to it for me anyway no no and when you were talking about you know you found more happiness after you kind of relinquished that control a little bit you then found uh, a different feeling of of anger I suppose or upset you know it's kind of like the stages of grief where you go this has happened Mm. this person's no longer with us and you go well I've just got to keep busy I've got to keep my mind off it and then all of a sudden, you know, it starts to come in and you go, wow, um, okay, now I start to feel, now I'm, now I'm angry this has happened. Now I'm upset this has happened. And we're kind of going through grief, you know, that's what we're going through. Um, and until, you know, what's happening, what I'm finding now is people are becoming all right with it. People are becoming like, they're seeing the positives, they're seeing the, they're seeing the, the, the light at the end of a tunnel now. And it's not that work's returning, it's that you're getting better mentally. That's how I feel. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it as the stages of grief, but you're absolutely right. That is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's that's how I feel. It is. Yeah, and I, like I say, I think I think some people are seeing the end of a, the the light at the end of a tunnel now because they're seeing that. Wow, I'm happy at home. Um, and you know, when we, I think one thing, one big thing that was said was, we don't know how many people are going to come back to music because you know they've got to go get another job. Well. You know, I didn't see it like that. I did. You know, I see a little bit of it like that. But I also see maybe people won't come back to music because they've found harmony in the home life now. Yeah, I think it's going to be different for everyone, isn't it? But yeah, I think there'll definitely be some people that have found a different way of being. Yeah, I think I think people will find harmony in this and go, right, okay, well, I'm actually all right at home because even even my dad, who's a, he's a mechanical engineer, let's call him a mechanical engineer, he's worked, you know, 50, 60 years of his life and he won't retire. Um, he, he, he can retire, but he just won't because he's like, what do I do when I don't work? What do I do when I don't work, mm. Scott? And I'm like, I don't know, Dad. You've, mm. got, you've got to find that out. You've got to figure that out. No one else is going to answer that for you. Yeah. And we kind of had that, oddly, not that, I'm, not that I'm the age of retirement, but, you know, we've oddly found uh, a bit of peace right now to go, okay, well, let's, let's work on us as people. And I think, I think that's, that's super, super interesting and super, super important. There, there was also a poem yeah. that I found of you as well, Becky. Um, and I did mention this to you like before we went live. Um, and it's called, There Are Days When You Wear Black. And I thought this yeah. was a, a lovely poem and uh, quite profound in the times of, of darkness. But then, 
you know, seeing a little bit of light. And I wondered if you would be interested in reading that out to our listeners. Yeah, sure. Thank you for saying that, by the way. Um, okay, so. There are days when you wear black, when you resent the blue sky for its relentless cheer and its Pollyanna perfection. There are days when the music is loud, not to dance to, but to rage to. There are days when the laughter of children is like a grinding saw tearing into your bones. There are days when the power of your darkness, your black hole sun, is the only fuel you burn. When light is nothing but an unwelcome visitor to the cave where you dwell. There are days when the yawning vastness of the universe and the nihilistic night are the voids where you relish your own significance. And you wouldn't have it any other way. There are days when you wear black. I think that's a fantastic poem. I think it's really good. I think it, it encapsulates it encapsulates what we can feel. When did when what kind of what kind of headspace was you in when you wrote that? Um, really pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> feel, feeling I was really angry. dark. Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, that was my. Yeah, I went through a stage of about three weeks when I was just. Yeah. Is a is, really. is poem something that you normally write? Um, not on the regular. I do, I do tend to journal quite a lot. Um, but sometimes things just arrive. It's like, I don't sit down, right. I'm going to go and write a poem. It's like something will just arrive in my head. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, it's like, I'm not really writing it. It's just gets deposited there by the universe and I get it on the page. (laughs) Yeah. But it's it's great that you can pull it from your mind into your hand, you know, and write it and write it out like that. Some people can't, I mean, obviously Mm. we work in an industry that's creative and they write lyrics you know, so it's it's, yeah. not, it's not too far removed, is it really? No, it's true, yeah. So when you say uh, there are days we wear black, um, are you talking about stage blacks? It, it was it was kind of, it was, it was um, there was a little dual me meaning there. Yeah, yeah so there, yeah. it was a nod to that. There's a little, yeah. there's a little nod to it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly, yeah. that's the exact way I took it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, it's, it's a very, very nice poem. And uh, I think it's something that if people can sit down and just even replay that, rewind it and have a little listen to that again. I found it really, really heartwarming and very nice to listen to it a few times. So thank you. It was good. So we're going to move on from the from the drear of of, of COVID nineteen and where and where we're <laughs> from, at in the world. From the blackness. Yeah, from from the black. We're not wearing black today. We're wearing bright colours and we're wearing more than anything yoga pants. That's what we're wearing right now. <laughs> because I'd like to talk a little bit about what you've been doing, and this is this is such a big part of you, isn't it? It's such a big part of you, and it's been a big part of your life for quite a while. And um, yeah, you yourself, as we said in our in, in our intro. We say that you're also a registered yoga teacher and therapist with your company, Rock and Roll Yogi. So do you want to tell us a little yes. bit about yogi? Yeah. Um, so I fell into yoga um, about ooh, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an all-inclusive gym membership and, and went, tried different things out, tried Pilates. Yeah, it's obviously effective, but didn't really do anything for me. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, I tried a yoga class and was immediately like, oh my God, I love this. I found my thing. It was like, I've already found my thing with touring, but I found another thing. <laughs> and um, was just obsessed from that day forward. Was back there every day and right. um, started practicing at home every day. And um, eventually went and get, went to do my, my teacher training mm-hmm. and then the following year did my advanced teacher training and was started teaching at 
a local studio when I was off the road and teaching on the road. Um, yeah. People, it was actually Karen. This is this has to do with Karen. Oh right, actually. really? Um, she is responsible for me teaching. She actually said right. on tour one day, "Would I teach her?" And the production assistant some yoga, and I said, "Well, I'm not actually qualified, but yeah. you know, if you promise to kind of listen to your body and not do anything daft if it hurts, then yeah, okay." Yeah, yeah. Um, and she said, "No, you should definitely go and do your training." So she was actually the one that sparked it. Right, amazing. Um, I mean, she yeah. she can be quite uh, convincing though in that sweet little Irish accent, can't she? Very persuasive. <laughs> <on that. laughs> yeah. um, and um, so yeah, and then I got back from my training and. You know, word got out that I've done that and people started saying, would you teach us? And so we started doing yoga in a dressing room after sound check and things like that with a band and various crew members. And I think it's very um, important on the road, isn't it, to do that kind of stuff? It's really helpful. People really seem to like it. It just helps, you know, ease out sore bodies, troubled minds, low energy, hyper energy. You know, it it just really helps to, to balance people out. You know, I think one of the things that we grab for on the road as well is that, you know, some artists tour with a with a masseuse or, you know, the production might say, hey, we're going to get in a masseuse. Do you want to put your name down? And you're, you're instantly like, mm. oh, of course, I've been unloading trucks. I've been lifting desks. Yeah, 100%. When sometimes what you need is a good stretch. And that's, that's what, yeah. you know, that's a little bit of yoga. And then there's also the inner peace that comes with yoga mm-hmm. as well, um, which I only found this year, to be honest, to go... How how am I going to hold this position? And you go, it's all right. Just breathe through it and uh, relax. And you go, oh, oh, oh my god! I didn't know I could do that. So there's there's a great pe- metaphor for life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there is. Yeah, there is. There is just a piece that comes with yoga, isn't there? And I think that's what's important mm. when you're doing that on the road. There's a great picture of you doing a headstand next to your desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've confused quite a few people because I, I tend to go and do my own practice in the mornings before I load in, and I've sure. I've definitely uh, surprised a few janitors and things coming into clean rooms and yeah, found yeah. me upside down. <laughs> is that something you always do in the morning then? Yeah. Not, not stand on your head? Yeah, that's not. But you always, you always, you always take, take that time in the morning to be just, just awaken yourself up and get yourself ready for the day. Yeah. I'm generally first one up on the bus. Um, and I'll go and usually go and meditate in the back lounge for a bit before anybody's up. Right. Um, and then go out for a walk Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I've got the benefit of being country club here, so I'm probably not needed until 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go and find a dressing room, do probably 40 minutes of, of my yoga practice, then have a shower and start work. Nice. Do you, do you teach classes on the road or is it just kind of, um, hey, guys, we're gonna, I'm going to do some yoga if you'd like to join? No, no, we absolutely d- teach classes. I do my own practice in the morning and then uh, I'll do a class in the afternoon for anybody who will set up a WhatsApp group for anyone who's interested. Right. And, you know, I'll do a, do a mate's rates thing, you know, normally sort of five or six quid a go and um, everybody will pile in and right. anyone who's interested. Will. Is, is it something, is it something that you, um, is it something you do on the road anyway? Is it something like, you know, when you're not touring or maybe when you are touring on a day off, will you teach a class or anything like that? Not on days off. Days off I keep for myself because I to keep my own factory yeah. topped up. Um, so, super, super I'm literally important, working yeah. every day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so no, I do keep it to show days. Yeah. Cool. That's really nice. And you've been, so when you started this journey of, a, of yoga um, and you started to become registered on all the training and stuff like that, it's quite a, it's quite a, a long journey, isn't it? Through the training. Yeah. Well, yeah. So after I'd done my, um, 
my advanced teacher training, my, my 500 hour, um, I would talk for probably about another three years. And then I'd, I'd got interested in, in yoga therapy when I was doing, doing that second training mm-hmm. and the decided to go and, and do that training. But that's, that's a much bigger undertaking. Um, that's, uh, a course that spans three years. And so that was going to be really difficult for me to do with touring. And it was the reason I'd done my previous trainings as intensives. I've just bogged right. off to Bali and done it. Yeah. Um, cause that was easier to fit with my schedule, but this was a fantastic course in London, um, registered with the British council for yoga therapy. Right. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to make it work. Mm. I'll just, I'll just start and we'll, I'll, I'll stop trying to problem solve something that might happen three years down the line and just start. Yeah. And I did and um, loved it. And um, yeah, graduated from there in 2017. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah fantastic. Yeah. So has, the, has there been days on tour when you've missed yoga and you've not been able to do it for, for whatever reason, you might have been too busy. And then do you find that yeah. impacts your day a lot? Oh yeah, I'm horrible if I don't do yoga. <laughs> oh, Becky, no, I'm Be- not kidding. <laughs> don't go near Becky. She's not doing yoga. <laughs> do you know what? I can definitely um, feel. I try not to be a raging bitch if I haven't done it, but yeah. um, I can definitely feel a difference in myself if yeah. I haven't had that time. Um, definitely for the meditation, the the, the postures um, are kind of secondary for me. The, the main thing for me is the meditation. It's, it's the mindfulness of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I do meditation as well, and it's, it's something that my friend took me on to. Um, being mm. mind, while well, read there's a book called Mindfulness. Um, and in fact, if you can go on um, sound, uh, what's it called, SoundCloud, and the the meditations are there for this, and it just talks mm. you through. So even if you're laying your bunk in the morning, just pop them in your lug holes and you can listen to the meditation and lie there in your bunk. Maybe a bunk's not always the most peaceful place, is it? You might be rocking back and forth if it's still driving. <laughs> so it's not like... You've got, you just got to yeah. do the best you can, though, on the road, haven't you? It's not perfect. It's not a perfect environment, so... That's it. It's just there. <laughs> just so do what you can. And just sink into the floor that you're on. And you're like, I can't, mate. I'm, I'm wobbling. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it sitting outside the bus at Glastonbury with my sunglasses on and holding a cup of tea so that people thought I was just sort of sitting there having a moment didn't realise I was brilliant meditating so they didn't think I was being completely weird yeah that's it <laughs> and then they come over and you're like shh go away so it's funny you yeah. mentioned it's funny you mentioned Glastonbury because you met a very significant person at Glastonbury didn't you I did yeah um I was lucky enough to be looking after monitors on the pyramid stage and um the Dalai Lama came and gave a speech on there it is something, it's, this is something and that he does every year, isn't it? I don't know that he's been there other years that I've done it, but oh, he right. was he was supposed to be doing this up in the healing fields and it just became apparent there was going to be too many people who wanted to see him, so they wow. moved it to the pyramid. And um, so we got fairly short notice to just yeah just scramble a mic and, um, right. and uh, up he came. And, and it was fabulous, actually, because there were some really big artists on – there with you know with huge entourages and all that sort of stuff and the Dalai Lama comes along and he's just got two monks with him it was amazing yeah just very humble um and big smile as he is and just this real lovely peaceful aura and then as he was leaving the stage I was um lucky enough to shake his hand oh that's amazing that is amazing. I mean that must have mm. been must have meant a great deal to you as well the big question is were the monks wearing stage blacks no no oh, they weren't amateur <laughs> <laughs> but 
we let him off. <laughs> no, yeah, we'll let him off. Yeah, it's, it's quite a profound thing, you know. I think we go through life, um, especially in our jobs, where you know we we kind of meet celebrities. I've never really been um, shocked by meeting a celebrity. I've never gone, oh my god, that's blah blah blah. I've never I've never had that um, feeling. But like, I suppose someone who's a, who's a bit of a cultural leader in that sense, mm. uh, you know, he's bigger bigger than life, I suppose that personality you know the the ethos of of his life the dalai lama you know it's not just one one individual is it as well so it's it's kind of it's 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 much bigger and i think i think i would be a bit taken back by that um i don't know if i'd be able to even shake his hand i'm like can i touch you can you can you instill (laughs) wisdom to me when you touch me i did well i sort of you know did the the right handshake thing and then i couldn't help myself you know the left hand went on top and I had to do the full hand clasp thing yeah, I was like oh yeah. what are you doing I'm going to be hugging him next so it's like don't cuddle the Dalai Lama <laughs> I mean, that, that is a massive t- a massive a massive tick that isn't it I mean I think that's a I think that could even be a selling point within the yogi you could be like you know Becky Pell runs her own rock and roll yogi has met the Dalai Lama I was like <laughs> all right I'm going to Becky for my yoga because she's legit I'm going there she knows what's up <laughs> It's just such a, an interesting thing. Do you know what? I don't know if I actually told this story. The only time that I've become shell-shocked as such was, um, I can't even think of the right wording, but I was uh, I was doing a job for uh, a guy called Zach Starkey. So he drums for like The Who and he was in this, he made his own band and uh, <clears throat> I got called to go do front of house for, for his band and we went down to his rehearsal room and Obviously, Zach, Zach to some people is you know a, a big deal and stuff like that. So I was like, cool. Did a bit of work for him, and then he said, "Can you can you pack away the kit right now?" Me and the monitor engineer I said, "Yeah, no worries, Zach. Don't worry about it." So we're packing away, and as we're kind of packing away, I'm looking around the studio. I'm like, "Wow, there's some old paste stuff over there. There's some old Premier drum kits over there. There's a lot of drums." And I was packing down this drum kit, and I said, "Zach, I've seen this drum kit before. It was an acrylic DW kit." And he's like, "Yeah, that's the Who's drum kit," and I was like, "That's really cool." That's really cool. And do you know what he had inside? He had, he, had, he, had, he had four D112s inside the kick drum, just as a little sound thing there. And I was like, why have you got, D, why have you got D112s? Why? But, <laughs> why have you got them? But um, he, uh, we packed this down, and I was like, that's cool. The, the Who's drum kit. This was for the, uh, the O2, um, the, the Olympic ceremony that they did. I was like, that's, yeah. really, that's really cool, really cool. And um, I was packing away this drum mat and I was like flicking it, forgetting all this, all this drum stick marks. I was like, oh, this is horrendous, this drum mat. I was like, Zach, you need to, you need to wash this, mate. You need to hoover this. And he's like, no, nah, I can't hoover that. I said, why can't you hoover it? And I'm still flapping it up and down. I said, this tape, there's like 17 drum kits on this sack. And he's like, yeah, it's Keith Moons. Oh my and God. I, I, literally, <laughs> I literally stopped and I was like, I have never been caught out before meeting anyone or anything, but I'm holding Keith Moon's Keith Moon's drum mat. And I'm like telling you to wash it. <laughs> don't wash it. Don't hoover it. <laughs> don't. Yeah, just don't even touch it. And that, was, that was the only time I've ever become like you know uh, with a celebrity, being like, well, and it wasn't even a person. It's not struck. It was a carpet. <laughs> it was a mat. <laughs> Piece of carpet. So uh, yeah, it's quite a, quite a funny one. But, yeah. So uh, with your yoga, we'll go back to the yoga. Now. It's not about me. Uh, with your yoga, you said something quite, quite, quite interesting. You messaged uh, the Weenie Crew ladies and stuff like that, and everyone there. And you told us that you're going to be doing something for our listeners and for the people who support Weenie Crew. And that, do you want to tell them about what you what you what you've been doing or what you're going to do? Yeah, that's right. 
Um, so I am currently teaching yoga for better sleep classes twice a week, um, Wednesdays and Sundays, 8.30 to 9.30 p.m. UK time with the recording available if that time doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to invite anybody listening to this podcast, anybody that's in the entertainment business and has been affected by COVID, so be that performers, crew alike, to mm-hmm. come along free of charge until the end of the year. That's absolutely amazing. That's amazing. And thank, thank you for doing that. You know, even just having that little bit of initiative. And if people want to find out about you, they can check out Rock and Roll Yogi and you can see what what yogi's all about. But that's that's amazing that you've decided to do that. And so the, the way that people are going to get in touch with you is going to the Rock and Roll Yogi website and hitting contact. That's right? That's right, yeah. And they just drop me a message with um, the words, we need crew, and um, I'll get back to them. We'll decide whether or not they want to come to the live session or they want the recording and we'll we'll take it from there and the the class is it's very very slow um and it's designed to be done right before bed mm-hmm. you can even come along in your pajamas if you want you can even do the final relaxation in bed and just drift off to sleep if you like wow so um you don't have to have your camera on if you if you're a bit shy about you know appearing mm-hmm. in your pajamas in front of everybody else you can your camera can be off um, and yeah, like I say, come along live or you can get the recording if you prefer. That's absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I mean, and that's going to be over Zoom. So it's super, super easy. We've all used Zoom now. We all know how to use Zoom. Yeah. So really, really great. Um, like I say, thanks for thanks for doing that. I think I, th- I, hope, I hope a lot of people take you up on that because it is, it is just a great thing. You know, we always look, I think what a lot of people do now is we tend to look towards YouTube and, and Instagram for these kind of things. But what we've got there is a, is a true live session going on and it's across the world people it's got it's from australia <laughs> it's from australia so you may as well join in i take it it'd be nice get up really in the early morning to do it <laughs> i've got to say yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah so a couple of things that we do on we need crew emma as we're kind of closing out the chat right now is we ask you for an experience from the road or a story that's positive fun something that's going to make us laugh something that's going to make us happy anything like that. do you have a story for us from the road I do. Um, it's from the first tour I did with Kylie. Um, and uh, it was in Cardiff and we were, we loaded in and it was just, it was before the first show, I think. I don't think we'd even done the first show yet. And I went to bed and was in the habit of sleeping in the raw when I was in my hotel room. Right. Um, safe, safe pajamas for the bus. And uh, just be yourself in the hotel night. room. Just be myself in the hotel yeah, yeah. room, yeah. And uh, went went to bed, woke up in the night needing the bathroom. And so got up, went through the door. And um, it was only as I heard the door go scum Click. behind me that I realised I'd chosen the wrong door and was oh, now in the hotel oh, corridor. Oh, no. In the bus. Yeah. <laughs> so um, very quickly woke up <laughs> and thought, okay, well, I knew that one of my colleagues was in the room next to me. I also knew that his girlfriend was staying with him that night. So that wasn't going to be a good look. So that was off. Knocking on his door. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get him to go and get me oh, a key. Oh, my days. Like so I was like, okay, um, health club. I knew there was a health club. So I'll go down to health club. They're going to have towels. We'll do that. Yep. Go down go down the lift. to. The, no, I won't go down the lift because the lift is in a central atrium and it's entirely made of glass. I'll go down the fire escape. That's what I'll do. Went down the fire escape, got to the floor that the health club was on. No access to the health club from that particular fire escape. So it was becoming apparent that 
actually, and I was really needing a wee all this time because oh, I got up in the God. night to get to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, um, that's the whole it, thing. You got to go to the bathroom, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it basically became apparent that I was just going to have to style it out and go down in that central atrium glass lift. <laughs> and so I was like, well, there's nothing much I can do. So I was like, one hand across my chest and oh, one hand my in God. Front. <laughs> and um, sort of doing a crab walk long back to the wall, but again, nowhere to hide because it's a glass lift. And, and down I went into the big open marble lobby. And <laughs> Excuse me. Um, do you have a key and for three on five, go up, please? <laughs> basically, yeah. Walked up the reception desk and went, you can see what's happened. <laughs> can I have a key, please? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, I bet they were quite taken aback. Um, yes, madam. Um, no problem. Do you oh. know what? They were actually very sweet. The security guard gave me his coat. Good, good lad. Good lad, yeah. <laughs> and um, and the, the lady at the desk said it actually happens a lot. Oh, <laughs> so no. That made me feel a bit better. That is, the, that um, is stories I, from hotels, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I did then make the mistake of telling somebody the following day, thinking they might keep it to themselves. No. Nope. I clearly hadn't been touring long enough by that stage to know that that was never going to happen. <laughs> and so then the production manager told me that he was actually going to get the footage from the CCTV oh, and put it on the big up. screen before the show. What a like, wind He up. never did. It was, it was just winding me up. But yeah, so that was my, um, put it this way, I always wear something in bed now when I'm on the road. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the lights on in the bathroom every night now. <laughs> And that. Yeah. <laughs> Barricade the door. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, double lock the door so you can't just make that mistake again. I mean, it's got, you know, it happened. It happened. You've, you, you've come yeah. away from it unscathed. You're all right. Yeah. <laughs> so no one was in the lobby. It was just the receptionist and the security. Thankfully, it was about 4 a.m. So the, the last people had cleared out of the bar and it was before the first people were coming down for breakfast. I mean, I had left it another half an hour. I think some of the riggers might have been down there ready to go to the gig. So That's it, yeah. You know, it could, that, it could have been worse. Is that Becky? Is that not... Is that, no, it can't be. I'm seeing things. <laughs> Did I see you was in the lobby? And then, no, no. That is not, no, it wasn't me. <laughs> oh, that's very, very funny. Oh, I, was, I, was, I, I, I was holding my head because I was so embarrassed for you at one point. I was like, I like the way you handled it, though. You were like, you were rational. You're like, no, nope, I'm going to go down the fire exit. And then, oh, was it locked, the fire exit? Is that why you couldn't go down? The, the the bit through to the the health club yeah there was no way there was no way through to the health club yeah so, yeah oh, I now think you know they have the have the an emergency break glass they need to have one of those but with a with a bathrobe in on every floor <laughs> yeah I believe it does happen quite a bit you know where people are just being silly and running between rooms and knocking on doors naked and be like Wee! click oh oh god oh god yeah. we, we've all locked ourselves at our hotel rooms not not all of us have locked ourselves out naked so <laughs> you've got that one on your book. <laughs> It's very, very good. See, I see a little trick that I always, that trick that I said I always use is that I always leave the bathroom light on because there's nothing worse. How many bloody hotels we stay in where you wake up and you go, where am I? Because you have no oh, idea. You yeah. have no idea which store is which, do you? You have no, no. idea. And so and if yeah. it's pitch black and you don't know where the light is either, it's, it's not fun. No, <laughs> there's been many a time when I've woke up and stared at a wall and been like, what is that picture? Where's that picture come from? Not, <laughs> where am I? Where? And then you look, oh God, oh God, I've no idea. So yeah, it could it could be worse, it could be outside naked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a great, great story. Thanks for telling us that. <laughs> I like the way you're like, I hope everyone keeps it to themselves and now you just told it on a podcast. 
<laughs> I know, I know. It, it becomes, you know, 18 years down the track, it's, it really has it much less effect. Matter. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. So another, another thing that we always ask all, all our guests on the Weedy Crew podcast is that we ask for a Hall of Fame nomination. And this is something that you've mm. been nominated for, Becky. It is. I was very touched to be nominated by Emma last week. Yeah, absolutely. It was absolutely lovely. When she mentioned it, I was like, ironically... We have Becky in the diary to talk to as well. So it was a really, really nice thing to tie in there. So the idea of the Weenie Crew Hall of Fame is just to recognise someone where they've taken quite a lot from that. Um, how, did, how did you feel when Emma nominated you? And she said she, said she kind of nominated you to see that you was a, a lady holding her own in the music industry did that did that sing quite a lot to you it did yeah I was I was very touched because I um I have a great deal of admiration for Emma and she's a uh, client list is amazing she's she's worked with Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks who are basically my complete heroes so yeah. um I'm quite in awe of her so it was mm. it was very very lovely to to hear that and her, her lovely words that she had to say yeah yeah nice she wanted to talk a lot about uh well she wanted to and unfortunately we didn't touch on it uh I'm kicking myself now she wanted to touch about ladies in the music industry and that we should be encouraging more people into the music industry and she you were definitely um an influence to her that when she saw you it pushed her to go further and further in the industry because she saw that you can hold your own through, you know, a uh, male dominated rock and roll as, as it, as it typically is, unfortunately. Mm. So it, it pushed her, it pushed her a lot further. Do you agree that we should be influencing a lot more younger, brighter minds and especially a lot of females moving in? Yeah, I think it's definitely, um, great to start to dismantle the the preconceptions that people might have um particularly younger women might have about it it's not a misconception that is male dominated it is we still only make up seven percent of women in the industry but um i think there is a perception that it's going to be very uncomfortable and very unpleasant Mm. um for women and i think the more visible the women who are in the industry being successful are to the younger generation the more inspiring it can be that oh look there are people doing it it there have been people you know going there and done it before um that it doesn't need to be a barrier at all i mean unless you're actually planning on mixing a gig with your genitals it really makes no difference i think there's a lot to be said for uh, influence so let's talk about something that you know uh, let's touch upon something that you said straight at the start of this podcast and that was um, the first time you went to a live show, you saw the front house engineer and you went, wow, there's a job there. Uh, I could do that. And you were influenced by just seeing a person. And it's very much mm. the same, you know, in the sense of not wholly with Emma, but she was already in the music industry. But she saw you mm. and she took great influence from that. You know, we should be visible. We should visibly show how many people are in the industry and especially women, because I work with a lot of women on tours all the time and I I, you know if I have friends come to the shows they'll say oh what what does she do and I'm like oh but she's she's the boss she's the production manager she holds she holds everything together right now really so she's the woman of power it's like well she's she's the person in power it's not just the woman she's the person in power you know and I think we should we should show all that visibility more and more and, and help influence the next generation of people to come into it no I think it's it's wonderful and it I think it brings a more um that's a more real kind of perspective if we've got a more even balance of yeah. of genders, isn't it? Because it's it's actually quite an unnatural environment to have ninety three percent men. Yeah. Um. So oh, I think massively. it's nice to bring some balance to it. 
Oh, there's, there's, there's a lot to be said of when you've got a bunch of a bunch of lads on tour, or you know all that kind of stuff. You know the the male bravado. You know sometimes mm. you know having having more more much more diverse people, having you know everyone including minorities or anything like that. It doesn't matter yeah. what your race, what your gender, or anything. It doesn't matter. You know having that diversity within your production is super super important. It makes you grow as a person, and. It, it just helps you work different ways and everything like that. It doesn't. We all know on tour that one uh, negative mind can poison the rest, can't it? You know. Yeah. And I yeah. think I think that that's the that can the same can be said for a for a group of ladies or a group of men is that certain, things act certain ways and as a as a race we work well together and we should be working together. You know. Absolutely. That's it. You know. So. We'll go back to the Hall of Fame though, um, which is where mm. we st- where we started with all this and talking about Emma and Hall of Fame. So it's someone who you would take influence from, who you think is just a genuine legend within the industry, or someone that you have a very nice story about. And I know who your nomination is, but can you tell our listeners who your nomination is for the Hall of Fame, please, Becky? Yeah. Um, so my nomination is Chris Pine who is a fellow sound engineer who I met um, on Kylie in back in 2002 Mm -hmm. um, when he was mixing front of house, he mixed front of house for her for about 12 years. And um, he's a really fantastic sound engineer. Um, He gets an amazing sound because of his attention to laying a great foundation with the basics, his attention to detail. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing that really struck me about Chris was, um, how kind he is and how ready to teach the younger generation. That's fantastic. Um, He's always, always ready to, to answer questions and, you know, takes the approach that there are no stupid questions, you know, ask away. And, and, and he really, he's inspired a lot of people. Um, And I've certainly learned a lot from him um, in terms of um, approaches to mixing. And um, Mm -hmm. I've seen him work with a lot of musicians, especially younger musicians and, and help to, mold their their stagecraft and their setup and i know several people who say that they're better players as a result of working with him oh great yeah um and we toured together on westlife as well he does um we were doing westlife together pre-covid and he's he's very versatile he's got a studio background he's done live recording for people like elton john Joni mitchell he's designed um pa systems um for events like rock in rio and he's one of very few Westerners to work with um, some major Asian artists like um, Jackie Chung and Armay, who mm. we may not have heard of, but they're kind of Asia's answer to Bruce Springsteen and Madonna. That, that's that's quite um, that's very very interesting because, as you said, being a Western and working with Asian artists that typically doesn't happen because there's always a, a a typical field of sound that they prefer, isn't there, with a, with mm. Eastern artists as such Asian artists. So that's great. That yeah, it's a, it's a different approach. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, he's, he's also recently branched out into doing more TV broadcasts. He actually did the um, did the TV broadcast for the, the AFL I mentioned earlier on. Right. And um, he's an all-round lovely guy, so much so that I married him in 2008. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. Yeah. yeah. So it's not, it's not just admiration that he is not only your husband, but it's the admiration of what he is and how he is and how he is with people as well. I think it's very important that we have people like Chris in the industry that are willing to teach people 
and willing to share their knowledge within it all because what we don't need is to hold everything to ourselves and not you know be stubborn we don't need to be stubborn with each other is to teach and go forward and inspire everything else so i think that's fantastic just as a little touch you didn't meet him on the tour with a glass elevator did you it was that tour, but that wasn't when he, he didn't. He wasn't present, and we didn't actually get together until we were just mates for about five or six years. Um, it was much later on that we got together. Right, fantastic, fantastic. No, that didn't influence anything. Good. I think I think it's fantastic that you got to work together on Kylie, and I think it's even better that you're still working together now, and you have a home relationship as well. What, yeah. What an incredibly inspiring story that is. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you. So Chris is our nomination. For Hall of Fame, we need crew. It's something that we always try and do, and hopefully you guys can inspire and take away from this as well. So just before we sign off today, one thing we're going to chat a little bit about is about your new book that you've had published, right, Becky? That's right, yeah. Um, so I've been working on it for a couple of years, and lockdown gave me the finally gave me the time to, to finish it. Um, so it's uh, called Yoga Journey, A Contemporary Guide to a Timeless Tradition. And it's, um, it's for anyone who wants to understand more about yoga beyond their regular class, mm. um, what it is, why and how it works, um, the philosophy made very relevant and applicable to, to modern everyday life. Um, so that is in with the publishers at the moment and will be out hopefully within the next few weeks. Fantastic. And that, is that a worldwide release and you can get that on, a, on like Amazon and stuff like that? Is that right? That's right, yeah. And uh, there'll be a link on my website as well on rockandrollyogi.com. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely amazing. Thanks for giving us a chat today, Becky, and learning all about you. And and hopefully, you know, we're going to check out your new book as well. So we'll check you out on Pro Sound. We'll check you out on Rock and Roll Yogi. And I'll tell you what, you're everywhere. We can, we can definitely find out a lot about you. And especially with the clang <laughs> stuff as well. Make sure people check out that Clang video because that was so, so interesting as well. Thank you. Thanks for having a chat, Becky, and we'll speak soon. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Weenie Crew podcast. I have been your host, Scott Howarth. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We're going to be releasing new content all the time. But until then, please check out weeniecrew.co.uk. Weenie Crew.